what is in your heart, that he listens. And so, Father, we just ask that what you've been pouring into his ear, that you would release on his tongue. And, Lord, that it would go into the right places in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for his faithfulness and yours. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Look at it, everybody. We're trying to be professional and whatnot. It's 1131. We're right on target. Come on. Shika bungu. Are you guys going to... I was just about to say, are you guys going to switch? Uh, because Ken needed to be strengthened in his body and whatnot. And the testimony this morning when we saw them greeting downstairs was a, a renewed Ken. Look at his smiling face. Look at his, there's red in his face and God's really been blessing him. So there's more to go, but we're rejoicing in what we see. Amen. That's good news. Good news, good news, good news. Hey, everybody. Father, would you just, let's just really connect for a moment with the person of God in this room. What an incredible thing that, yeah, God is everywhere. He is everywhere. He's, om, he's omnipresent. That makes, that's one of the reasons why he's God. But he's also with us, every, everybody who gathers together in the name of Jesus the Bible tells us that he's with them in a very special way. And so he's here with us. He's here not just because, the, as Bible says so, but he's here because we've experienced for the last 20 plus years, for the last 10 years as this congregation, we've experienced his presence with us in some way. Whether we feel just a sense of love, or we're reminded of his goodness in some way he's always manifesting himself to us and so father i ask that even this morning you would do that again lord would you just come and meet with each and every one of us lord you know everyone in this room you know what we need you know how we need to connect to you so i pray that in your grace in your love for us in your undying devotion to us. Lord, would you just come and bless and fill us and touch us. Remind us of your presence. Remind us of your power. Remind us of your goodness in our lives. That you're for us, not against us. Remind us that you are a good, good Father. Yes, you're Master. Yes, you're Lord of the universe. You're the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're the conquering line of the tribe of Judah, but you're also, and especially, you're also our dad, our father, who wants to bless us, who wants to protect us, who wants to make a way for us, 
who wants to encourage us, who wants to push us, who wants to exhort us, who wants us to grow up into the image of your beloved Son. And so I ask that, that, that you would do that today, Lord. Do that today. Come and meet your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to share some, um, a short message that I shared uh, to our privileged crew on Wednesday. See, when, when you come on Wednesday night, you, you, sometimes you get a privileged message. Um, but what I, share on, what I shared on Wednesday, I want to share with you as well. But before I talk about discerning the storms of life, discerning the storms of life, I want to couch this in the revelation of God as our Father, because it's so important for us as, as followers of Jesus to know God as Father. I believe, I've come to believe, that if, we, if in the preaching of our gospel message we don't include the fact that God is our Father, uh, I think we're, we're, we're shortchanging ourselves and shortchanging the people that we're sharing the gospel with. Because Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, He says, I am the way. He didn't point to a list of things. Here's five things to do, or three things to do, or 17 things to do, or 471 things to do, or 613 things to do. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to heaven but, but through me. Right? That's not what it says. No one comes to the Father. You see, for the first half of my Christian life, I focused on the first half of that verse. In my preaching, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to go to heaven, believe in Jesus, because he's the way. And I, somehow, I totally missed the fact that he was pointing to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and no one comes to the Father but by me. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so it's important for us to really connect to this thing because we're not, just, we're not just going to a place. Yes, there is a place. There's a spiritual place that we're going to and eventually earth and heaven will, will marry and we'll have this glorious renewed heavens and renewed earth and it'll be a gorgeous place to be. But we're actually going to a person. Jesus is the way, but the Father is the destination. And so it's so important for us to really connect with this truth that God really is our Father, what it means to live with a growing understanding of God as our Father, which means, therefore, that we are His sons or His daughters, if you're male or female. And so what does it mean to live like a son? And, I, and so, I, so I want to couch what I'm about to say in this understanding. Let me just make it uh, personal for you. In the last 20 or plus years since I've been coming to the catch in the catch fire world and imbibing and learning about the, the reality of God as my father, my personal father, um, there's four different ways or four ways, as I was thinking about this in the library on Friday, there are four ways, there are more, but there are four ways that I want to share that my life has been changed as a, re as a result of the revelation of God as my Father. First of all, there's a deeper sense of identity, a deeper sense of security. I know much better than I did before who I am in God. 
I have a stronger sense of security about who I am. So I'm not pushed around by the opinions of others like I used to be. I'm not, I'm not, in, uh, I'm not as interested in, in whether you like me or not, although that, that does play a part. It's, not, it's nice to know when people like you. I'm not negating that. But the point I'm making is, is that the weight or the influence that other people's opinions had on my life was quite extreme. And how ridiculous it is to, have the, the, to value other people's opinions more than what God says about you, more than what your Father says about you. And if we, if we set our minds and our hearts to understanding deep in our spirits what the Father thinks about you, right? That He loves you, that He really wants to bless you, He really wants to do good for you, and even He does, even though He knows everything about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, He still loves you. Isn't that crazy? Do you? I mean, do you understand that? Like when you sin horribly, when you watch pornography or whatever your favorite sin is, whenever you do that, that does not negate his love for you. He still loves you. He still cares for you. He still wants to bless you. He still wants to, to set you free from that thing that, that's, that's having you bound. So for me, it's been a, a stronger sense of identity in who I am. So I, I'm free to be myself, which is a gift to the body of Christ, by the way, because I'm much more charming now than I used to be. <clears throat> Number two, uh, purpose, purpose. I have a much stronger, clearer sense of purpose in life, direction, destiny, right? Uh, um, you know, uh, I'm allowed to dream. I'm allowed to dream, everybody. I'm allowed to dream big dreams. I, have no, I had no expectation of ever leading a church. I never think I was qualified to lead a church until I came in to an understanding that God really is my Father, and I get to lean on Him, right? I get to lean on Him. So understanding how that works with the Father is, is, is incredible for us in terms of our identity, in terms of our sense of purpose, our sense of calling. Uh, we're allowed to dream big. We can make a big difference in the world, a much bigger difference in the world than we ever even imagined. Amen? Another area that um, uh, uh, is fruit of knowing God as my Father is... Um, the area of a third area. Well, what is it? I wrote it down somewhere. Responsibility. That's it. Responsibility. Now I am about my father. I'm not just an employee in the in a corporation called the church or in the kingdom. I am about my uh, family family's business. I am part of my family's business, my father's business. So I have a stronger sense of responsibility and ownership right is this making sense I'm not just a little cog in the wheel I'm actually a co-heir with Christ I am a co-heir with Christ which means therefore without sounding you know grandiose or or anything like that um, because God has given me this privileged place as a, as a co-heir with Christ. I get to rule now in this age and in the age to come. 
Right? We get to influence what happens in this world now and then. Isn't that amazing? And if we, if we learn how to live like that, it's a continuum, right? It's not, we, we don't go from zero to 100 in two seconds. It's a continuum. We, we get to grow in our self-awareness in, in all these areas. Okay, so find the fourth area is uh, perspective. My perspective on life, my, my, my perspective on um, especially spiritual, spirituality and spiritual warfare. That's been a significant change. And so now I'm much more aware of the bigness of God. Big God, everybody. Big God. Big God. There used to be a song that uh, one of the worship leaders way back in the renewal, um, Rob Critchley wrote this song. Uh, uh, it says, Great Big God, Itty Bitty Devil. I sing my praise to a great big God. It helps, it helps us with our perspective when we understand, not in our theology or doctrine, but in our hearts, that God really is big and that the enemy is a pawn in his hand, right? That, that they're not on, equal, uh, equal, not on an equal playing field at all. They don't have equal power. You know, the way that I listen to some Christians talking, it's as though, it's as though the devil is such a powerful force that, I mean, I'm not negating the fact that the devil is real, that he's a personality, and he's actively involved. But here's what I want to suggest to you. We give him way more, way more influence than he really has. You know, John or not, the founding pastor of this whole thing, uh, he, said, he, says, he says a statement which has resounded in my ears, and he says, we get what we have faith for. We get what we have faith for. So if you believe that the enemy is powerful, if you believe that the enemy um, is, is, is stronger than, than you are, then guess what? He ends up being that way. But if you understand biblically that the Father is, He is the Creator. He is the only one who is omnipotent. He is the only one who is all-powerful, all-knowing. The devil is a created being, and he's being used by God in the, big, in the economy of God's purposes. He's being used as a tool in God's hands. So don't give him more weight than he, he deserves, okay? Amen? That right there could be my message. We can just stop right there, and we can celebrate the fact that we worship a God who is powerful. Jesus says, at the very end of Matthew 28, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Does that leave room for anybody else? No. So let's live with this greater sense of God's power and his desire to use us in amazing ways. Amen? So that's my, uh, so I got 15 minutes to tell you what I really want to tell you. Uh, that's all intro, free, for free. Um, discerning the storms of life. Tell me some storms in the Bible. Shout out quickly some storms. Can you think of some storms that happened in the Bible? Anybody? Jesus in the boat, yes? Noah. Noah, okay. Anybody else? Jonah. Was that you? Who? Paul in the shipwreck, right, very good. 
Excellent. That's exact. Those are the three things. Three of those four mentioned are the ones I want to focus on and really draw out really quickly some uh, lessons. First one is Jonah. Jonah. Uh, 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 Jonah. And then um, uh, Jesus in the boat. And then uh, Paul in the shipwreck. The Noah and the flood. That's that's huge. Okay, that's bigger than just what I want to talk about. Yeah, that's a mega storm. That's a storm to end all storms. In fact, that storm is so bad that there'll be no more storm like that ever again. The Bible says, come on. Okay, so, it's during the storms. I already did this piece. Okay, Jonah. Most of you know the story. Jonah was told by God. Jonah was a prophet in the Old Testament. He was told by God to go to this foreign nation called a Syrian nation. Go to the city of Nineveh, which is a massive city. Go and preach to them. They're wicked people. They're really bad people. They're really, really bad. But you go preach and tell them I'm about to judge them. And as you preach to them, they will repent. Jonah didn't like this because he was... Actually, Jonah was not a nice guy. I just reread the story uh, on Friday. And he was not a nice guy, okay? He was a little bit... We, we have labels today that would apply to him, okay? Um, but, but anyway, so, so Jonah, instead of going where God told him to go, he went in exactly the opposite direction. He was supposed to go to Nineveh, he went to Tarshish. Opposite direction altogether, you can look it up on a map. Anyway, so he jumps in his, in his boat... With, with, this, uh, with a bunch of uh, people who worship all kinds of gods. And, and you know the story. The, it says that then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Okay, point, point, here's the point. Who sent, the, who sent this storm? Who sent this storm, everybody? Who sent this storm? Huh? The Lord sent the storm. It wasn't the devil. Okay. It was the Lord who sent the storm. And the reason why the Lord sent the storm was because Jonah was being disobedient to his call. And God in his mercy and love for Jonah and for the people of Nineveh, he sent a storm so that in the midst of the storm, he could get Jonah back on track. That's exactly what happened. If you read the story, uh, the, they were all beginning to cry out, Oh my God, are we going to all die? And Jonah was fast asleep. That's another strange reason. The uh, strange reason why it says he's a really bad guy, because he knows he's doing something wrong, but his conscience is so seared that he can sleep in the boat in the midst of a storm. Jesus, we'll see, was sleeping in the boat because he was at peace with who he is. Right? But Jonah was, was asleep because his conscience was seared. Anyway, so he's sleeping in the boat. They wake him up and say, Jonah, what's going on? The short story is that uh, they drew lots. And, and it came to it, they, they realized that the reason why this storm was upon them, they're about to die. You need to realize these guys are hardened uh, fishermen, right? I mean, they're seafaring men. So a little, a little tempest in a teapot wouldn't wouldn't trouble them. But this was a massive storm. And so they were all afraid of dying. So they, they grabbed Jonah and, uh, and Jonah says, yeah, you better throw me overboard because the God who, who is the king of heaven and earth, he's doing this to me. 
So they threw him overboard. You know the story. The whale comes to save him. So point number one in this story of this storm is that not every single storm, not, a, not every single bad thing that happens in your life. A storm, in essence, is an, uh, a, a moment of upheaval. It brings loss. It brings uh, distraction. It brings devastation. It brings um, uh, fear, anxiety. It takes away peace. That's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. It's things that happen in our lives that cause um, distress. And so, um, where was I? Right? So that's what happened with Jonah. The Lord sent the storm in order that Jonah would get back on track. Right? Because God is a good father and it says in Hebrews 12 that he loves us as his children so much that he's willing to, to discipline us and train us up so that we could follow in his way. And if that means sending a storm, so be it. Amen? Storm number two. Uh, what do I need? Storm number two. Jesus and his disciples. It's a long passage. Um, you can read it in Matthew. It's also in Mark as well as Luke. Uh, then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Right? That's really what our position should be in the midst of, of the storms of life. We can find that place where we can be at rest. Because he'd already told them, guys, we're going to be crossing this lake and we're going to the other side. That's what, his, that's what the plan was. And his plans always come to pass, even if there's a storm. Amen. That's a good word, wasn't it? You can, you can tweet that if you want. Uh, the disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are going to drown. Again, these guys were, were hardened fishermen. So this wasn't just a little storm. This is a massive storm that caused them to be afraid. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then, then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And then he went on to say, who kind of man is this that he could speak to the waves? So the point I want to make in this one is that uh, this is not a wave, this is not a storm that was sent by the Father. It doesn't make it clear. It's not as, so we have to make some, some um, inferences, right? It doesn't tell us who, who sent the storm. In the previous story, it told us that God sent the storm. In this case, it didn't tell, tell us who sent the storm, but we can make the inference that Jesus rebuked the winds and the waves. So it's highly unlikely that Jesus would rebuke something that his father was doing. Correct? Does that make sense? So I'm going to say that this wave, this storm, was sent by the enemy. The storm was sent by the enemy. And the reason why this storm was sent by the enemy was because of a bunch of reasons. First of all, he wanted to, um, he wanted to awaken in the hearts of, of the disciples Things like fear, things like anxiety, and that's exactly what happened. They, they were afraid they were going to die. Even though they were in the boat with Jesus, even though they were in the boat with Jesus, everybody, they still were afraid. They still thought they were going to drown. They still thought they were going to die. So the anxiety and the fear that's, that was resident in their hearts came to the surface. And I want to suggest to you, Carl, and everybody else in this room, that we are no different from those guys. Because when the pressures of life come, 
when the difficulties of life happen, one of the first things, one of the first thoughts that cross our mind is, why is God letting this happen to me? Why is God doing this to me? Doesn't God love me anymore? Doesn't he like me? Isn't God good to me? And, and we have question marks about the nature of God. We have a question mark about whether God is, is good enough, a good enough father to take care of us. I'm speaking from experience, folks. I've, I've, to, I, I've mentioned this story before. I'll tell it to you briefly again. Uh, a bunch of years ago now, my brother, eldest brother, um, the quick story is um, uh, I was, uh, a missionary came to our church and she was preaching, uh, teaching about how to pray for unsaved family members. And she was giving us a whole slew of, you know, um, tactics and tips on how to pray effectively for your family members who weren't saved. And so that night, I went home after the meeting and I prayed for all of my family members. I go to work the next morning. I come home from work uh, in the evening and I found out that my brother had just died. Just died. I just prayed for him the night before that he would be saved, that he would come to know Jesus. And he's dead. He was at a conference in Geneva. They were on a break. He went into the, into the elevator to, go to, the, to, to um, go to the concession stand to grab something. On the way down, massive heart attack. Wid Widowmaker, he's dead. 44 years old. Okay, so, so I remember distinctly. Obviously, this all swirling. We, I, I go to the funeral. Um, he lived in England, so I'm over in England. And I am walking up the steps of the West Wickham subway underground. I'm walking up the steps. I'm going to go meet a friend. And I'm, as I'm walking up the step, I said in my own heart, God, I said, I doubt if I can, I can't deny you because I've seen enough. I've seen enough of what, of what, you, of what you're able to do. But I doubt if I can really trust you anymore. I, I, I can see it in my mind, so I'm walking up the steps saying that. Obviously, that was a victory that the enemy had for a short time because that's exactly what he wants to do for, to every single Christian. If he can't deny who Jesus is, if he can't prevent you from, from seeing who Jesus is and becoming a follower, the next strategy is distorting the image of God in, a, in our hearts and in our minds. And he wants us to not put our complete trust in who God is. And so he uses the pressures of life, whether he brings them herself, himself, or whether, whatever the pressures of life are, he uses those moments to speak lies into our heart about who God is, about who we are. You're not good enough. You've sinned too badly. All right? It's too late for you. All these lies that he's willing to speak into our hearts. And if we believe them for a moment, he thinks he has the victory. Of course, by the mercy of God, I was able to repent of that, of that lie that I believed, that I can't trust God. And I was able to reassert my commitment 100% to Jesus. And even if life falls apart, I will still trust him. Because he's worthy of my trust. I've seen enough of what he's done. Amen? So I'm not speaking about these things as though I'm untouched by them. I know the struggle we all have. And by the way, your, 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 your storm, 
What, what may be a storm for you may not be a storm for somebody else. What may be a storm for you is not a storm for you, okay? We're individuals, right? But whatever we're going through in life, whatever difficulties, whatever pressures we're going through in life, what the enemy wants to do is to steal our trust in who God is, in his goodness towards us. He wants to mar the image of God in our lives. Amen. Okay. Final thought. Paul and the shipwreck. So pretty long story. By the way, it's a fantastic story as it's written. If you read it, read it. It's Acts chapter 27. It's like, I mean, Hollywood can't, wouldn't do justice to this kind of description of the story. So amazing. But anyway, he, Paul had appealed to, to go to, to Caesar to make his case to Caesar. And so they're going to, 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 towards Rome and um, a bunch of things happen in the story. Uh, I'll just read it what it says. Much time has been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the day of atonement. I'm going to come back to why I, I highlighted that. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called a northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. Uh, going on, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. Uh, last night, an angel of the Lord, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me. That was Paul speaking to the people. Okay, so the praise, the synopsis of the story is that, is that they were actually, um, it, it was becoming that time of year where hurricanes happen. They just happen. In the Caribbean, for example, hurricane season is from June to November. It's especially bad July, August, or August, September, October. Those three months, that's when you, if you listen to the news, that's when all the hurricanes happen. Uh, likewise, in this story, they knew that they shouldn't really be traveling at this time because this is the time of hurricanes. It's hurricane season right after the Day of Atonement. That's, a, that's the time period when hurricanes begin in the Mediterranean. And every seafaring person knew that, but they wanted to get to Rome, so they pushed out even though uh, they, they shouldn't have. In fact, in fact, Paul said we shouldn't be going, but they didn't listen to him. And, and so the hurricane force hit. So the point I'm making here is this, is that this hurricane did not come because the Lord sent it, nor did the devil send it. It happened because hurricanes happen in this season of life, in this season of time. And especially if you're disobedient, right, you end up having to face a storm. If you're not listening to the man of God, in this case, in, Paul, in Paul's case, if you're not listening to, to, to wisdom, then you, you end up in a storm. It may be a storm of your own making. It may be a storm of somebody else's making. But it's just a, a, the na, a, a natural occurrence of life. And so uh, the, the, the beauty of this story, though, is that uh, Paul was, such, was so full of grace and kindness and he was so in tune with the Spirit that even though they weren't listening to him initially, um, he still uh, was gracious to them. 
He says, listen guys, I've been praying, okay? Last night, an angel of the Lord came to me and he said that even though things are bad, uh, here's what's going to happen. The ship is going to be destroyed, everything, all the cargo is going to be lost, but no human life will be lost. The point there is that he was still in communion with the Spirit. Even though the storm was raging, even though they were in this storm because of somebody else's bad choice, he was, he was in this thing and he wasn't cussing them because they, were, they were made a mistake. He wasn't judging them because they made a mistake. He was so in tune, he was so connected to the grace of God that he was able to hear by way of an angel what the Father was saying. Amen? That's, an, that's instructive for me because when... Other people make decisions, and I, 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 I get, the, I get, the, um, I get the, the wrong end of the stick. My first instinct is, these punks. But Paul didn't do that, right? He's such a man of grace that he was, he was willing to be, be gracious and loving and kind and still in communion with God so he can help them through the whole thing. And that's exactly what happened, exactly as Paul uh, outlined. We shouldn't have done this, so we ended up in a storm. But however, we're going to lose a lot of things, but because, of, because God is so good, plus I have to get to Rome, so you guys get to ride in on my benefit of having to go to Rome, so you get to live. And anyway, so, so that's, that's the story there. So what I want to say about, about all this, first of all, as we go through life, it's important for us to discern the source of our storms. Because if we understand the source of our storms, then we'll know how to respond to them. If it's a storm that the Lord has sent, well then, he wants to get us back on track. And so we repent, we ask God's forgiveness, and we ask him to realign us to the, the path that he wants us to go on. If it's a storm that the enemy has sent, well then, if there's a bombardment of lies, because he's the father of lies, right? If he's, if he's, if he's accusing us, if he's, if he's speaking lies of who God is, about who we are, about who other people are, well then we have every single right to rebuke the enemy and to shut those lies down and to replace those lies with the truth. Amen? Then thirdly, we go through life. We go through life and storms happen because we live in this broken world. It's a messed up world that we, lived in, it, that we live in. There are storms, storms that happen in life. We get, to, we get to choose to be in communion with God, to be at peace with God, even in the swirl of life. And then as a result of doing that, we get to be gracious to ourselves and to the people around us, even in the midst of storms. So we don't cuss the guy on the 401 who, who got into an accident because of whatever. I remember one time, all right, we were going to, um, I mean, it's happened many times since, but the, but, but, but the occasion that comes to mind was we were going to, uh, uh, we were going to Markham. We were going to pray for these guys. They were doing their, their, their dedicating their, their, their building. And we're on the 401, and there's an accident. This is on Saturday morning, was it not? Saturday morning, the highway should be reasonably clear, man. It's bunged up. My first thing is, what kind of crazy drivers do we have in this country? And it's a lot, a lot worse than that. I'm just giving you the, 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 the Reader's Digest, the sanitized version, okay? I'm giving you the Holy Church version, okay? 
And, and, uh, but then the Lord sort of, in all of that uh, craziness going on in my mind, the Lord reminded me, why don't, just, just, just be like your wife. Try to be gracious to people. <laughs> so, I, so I blessed the, the people in the accident that they would get help and learn how to drive better or whatever. <laughs> anyway. So that, that's basically what I wanted to say to us. We, we have to learn how to, we, if we don't know yet, we have to learn how to hear the voice of God. By the way, it's, clu- it's crucial that we learn to hear the voice of God in a time of peace, when things are going okay, uh, so that when the pressures come, we'll still have access to hearing His voice. Don't wait until the storms hit us really badly to learn how to hear the voice of God. Learn to hear the voice of God now. Amen? Should we all stand and then we'll pray and then Elsie will come and close the meeting? 12.06, not too bad. Father, we just thank you for your, for your word. We thank you, God, that you, you're such a good, good father. And in every single circumstance of life, you want us to know and to be fully assured of your goodness, of your deep and abiding love for us.